so many different ideas about good health, how do you separate the myths from the facts? Welcome to Healthy View Radio with your trio of co-hosts, Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus. Today, you'll learn what it takes to be healthy and happy within a stressful world from three experts walking their talk. Here is Lisa, Andrea, and Michelle. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Healthy View Radio. I am Lisa Lutan. I'm here today with my fabulous co-host, Michelle Fenighaus. Andrea is off speaking at a conference today, so let's send her a big high five and wish her good luck. Good luck, good Andrea. Luck, Andrea. <laughs> we have some amazing guests on the show today. Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson is going to be talking about food addiction, and she's done fascinating research on this topic. You're really going to want to hear that. And we'll also later in the show be talking to president and CEO of Giovanni Cosmetics, James Guadotti. If you're not familiar with Giovanni Cosmetics, I want you to know they are the number one selling hair care, sorry, sorry, hair care line in the U.S. natural products industry, and we love them. And Andrea said, please give them a special shout out because she absolutely adores them. That's what keeps her curls looking so great. And we are so appreciative that Giovanni is actually helping to support us here at HBR. If that wasn't enough, they are giving you a coupon today for $2. Just head on over to GiovanniCosmetics.com. That's G-I-O-V-A-N-N-I Cosmetics.com slash HVR for Healthy View Radio. And you'll get that coupon. And you can find their products at Sprouts, Kroger, and Whole Foods. Before we get to our guests, we need to talk about food addiction. No keto, paleo, vegan diet is going to be the answer for you if you don't address the underlying stuff going on, like your habits and your triggers. And so this is a really big issue for some of us, not all of us. For example, do you ever crave the same meal every time you go back to the same restaurant? I do. Really? That, my friends, I do. It's Pavlovian. So that, my friends, is just a habit. And it's the same type of thing that I crave pecan by on Thanksgiving. I crave lobster rolls when I go to Maine. Well, yeah. And I, <laughs> yeah. And this is a weird one. I start craving half sour pickles as I pass the exit to Ryan's Deli on the way from Boston to New York. Like it is just such like clockwork. Now. Triggers, however, are something totally different for me. I am one of those people who can't eat one piece of chocolate. I can't have a little taste of pasta or a little spoon of gelato. It's a chemical thing for me. It sends me into a downward spiral, and it is not in my head. I have tested this out for years and years. I'm very sensitive to these things. And I think of myself as an addict in certain cases. But I know you, Michelle, have a totally different philosophy. And so what are your thoughts on this? Well, you know, it's not that I have a different philosophy. I have been there. In fact, I remember very, very clearly in my 20s, I lived alone. I had this little basement apartment um, sort of at the edge of the the green line in Boston. And, um, you know, it was like just me and my little mini refrigerator at night. And I would eat like I couldn't stop myself. I remember like wheat thins. I couldn't stop eating the wheat thins because I'd get the back then. I don't know. We all thought wheat thins were healthy. I don't know why. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I get like, little. Yeah, <laughs> it was little. It, it was wheat. It, I don't know. It wasn't whole wheat. Yeah, it was whole wheat. So I'd get like the big jumbo box of wheat thins to be healthy, right? And I would eat like the whole box, and I would just. You know, at, at that time, obviously, I was not involved with health and wellness at all. But even my like 22 year old self knew that I was eating too much. And I would be like, stop, self, please stop. And then I wouldn't, my hand would just kind of keep going back in that box, like, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd finish off the box, or it would be the whole half gallon of ice cream in the freezer. And I realized that the more I told myself I couldn't, the more I did anyway. And I was getting into this really weird feedback loop of trying to discipline myself or have willpower. And, you know, it's not like I was trying to lose weight or there was any dieting thing going on. It was just, I couldn't keep my hand out of that damn box of wheat pens. <laughs> so like I've been there where, you know, I can't just have one. It has to be the whole box. Well, I, you know, it, I, it's not always a whole box, but, you know, Gretchen Rubin, who I really love, she talks about abstainers and moderators and how some people can moderate and do a little bit and some people are better off abstaining. And so for me, I like to, before I eat a food, say, realistically, if I have one of these, am I going to stop at one? or not? And if the answer is no, I'm much happier not even starting. I don't feel deprived. I feel like I made a choice. Sometimes I make the choice to proceed, but I'm like, then I have no guilt because I've made a conscious choice. It wasn't like, I don't know what happened. Like I take full responsibility, but I do know that this is my nature. And I do know that no amount of willpower or reasoning has ever worked with me. And so I have found that with certain foods, don't even bother going there. Well, that's a really good way to go about it. it and I, I heard those, that theory as well of the um, abstainers and moderators, and especially when it comes to sugar. You know, some people are able to do the little bits and some people just cannot. And I guess I would just argue that it may not be that that's who you are now and forever. It's just maybe that's where you're at right now because the same person can change and become more of a moderator. I believe. I, I see that happen. I've seen that happen to myself. I see it happen to my clients. Um, and a lot of times when people tell me that they can't stop eating, I mean, it's a lot of things, right? It's like the sugar, salt, and fat in the food that's making it irresistible to your taste buds. So it's what you're eating. It, it could be emotional. Um, it could be your gut bacteria talking. So you know, a lot of times we refer to we refer to the bacteria in the gut as like the good bacteria and the bad bacteria. But like literally, if you broke down the bacteria in the gut into two categories, there's the bacteroides and the firmicutes. <laughs> really, that's what they're <laughs> called. And the way to remember firmicutes is that um, they're not you're not so firm, you're not so cute because they are the obesogenic variety that literally call for junk food. They want it. And they're so strong in their message. They make you want it. So for example, somebody whose gut bacteria is full of the firmicutes, they're lower in the bacteroides, uh, they're going to be somebody who can't stop themselves from eating that whole half gallon of ice cream. And that's probably where I was back then. Whereas now I can have a little bit, a little bit of ice cream and walk away. So this is so interesting. Like I was never to eat the whole half gallon of ice cream kind of girl. I was like, I'd have the ice cream and then next day I wanted the ice cream and next day I wanted the ice cream and I'd start thinking about the ice cream and I knew the ice cream was there and I had to use all my everything not to go back for the ice cream. So it wasn't like 
binging on the ice cream, but I was craving it like crazy. And just last week, I was um, I had an event at my house, and I made this beautiful platter with grapes. And as I'm eating the grapes, just kind of setting up, um, I, I love grapes, and I ate too many grapes. I had a lot. And for three days, I was in sugar craving agony, like craving like out of control. And that's what happens to me. And so I like to look at it as like, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to live with cravings all the time. I want to live in a happy place. So I know, okay, like what happened? I ate too many grapes that set me off and I was able to recover from that, you know, but a lot of people aren't making those connections, what's going on. And that would send them into a downward spiral. I see it because I run a lot of programs getting people off sugar. And I see this pattern quite a bit about what happens. And I've been playing around with this stuff for 20 years. So like, I feel like I've really understand my body well. And that was just grapes, dude. That was just grapes. I'm super sensitive to sugar, like very sensitive because I have a very clean diet. And so things I'm so aware of what it is that triggers me. You know, my son is like that, my older son. And it's interesting because I got two sons so I can compare them to each other. You know, I know they're different people, but they're, that's as close as you can get without being twins, you know, to be siblings raised in the same household. And my older son is like that with any fruit. And I don't give my kids a lot of real sugary stuff, but um, fruit or even carbs, if there's something like pretzels or any kind of bread, I mean, he's a fiend for it. If we go to somebody's party and there's a bowl of popcorn, other kids don't even care about popcorn, right? Because they're looking for the hard stuff. <laughs> My son <laughs> there and just inhale all the popcorn. I have to be like, dude, don't be a pig. That's rude. You, know? <laughs> you got to share. But he's like that with fruit. He will eat it and eat it and eat it and eat it. Like he gravitates towards carbs so very much. And uh, you know, I have theories. He was my C-section baby and there were antibiotics involved immediately in his life. And I feel like his gut is not at the same health that my um, my VBAC baby was when I was eating a lot of fermented foods in my diet, had a natural delivery. I see it. I see it playing out in the way that they're, they're, they're That's super interesting. Creating. Yeah. Like I wonder about that. Um, I also think a lot of it is, you know, what we grow up with. You know, I was a skinny kid, so my mom had no problem buying me cupcakes and like treats. And I was always eating that stuff and nobody paid attention because I was a skinny kid. Whereas if I had been a heavier kid, people might have been paying attention. And I like I lived on junk food for many, many, many years. Um, I didn't like vegetables till I turned 30, honestly. And so it's quite remarkable that I love vegetables. Like I think they're like nature's candy now. It's it's crazy. But it's so ingrained in me, that love of sweets. I mean, I love sweets. I used to dream about birthday cake. But um, I just know it doesn't serve me well anymore. So I don't know. It's curious to think about the gut bacteria, but it's also, I wonder if there's a genetic component to it. And a lifestyle component as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, how you grew up. And th then you get the other side of it, right? Like, um, my mom didn't give me a lot of, well, compared to other kids, I didn't have a lot of sweets. So it was the opposite, right? And then that's kind of how I'm raising my kids. But, and everyone kind of warns me of this. Whoa, when they get older, though, they are going to binge like crazy. They're going to go to their friends' houses and eat so much more of it because it's not allowed at home. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> so I feel like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. 
Yeah, you really are. I mean, I had a lot of junk food in my house. I ate all of it. You know, like I was living on devil dogs. So I don't think you, you really have, it's a hard one. As my kids got older and I became more aware of this stuff, I would bring home treats, but I'd bring home three cookies. Like I didn't bring home the whole batch and I got them starting to be aware of it. And now my kids are like in their twenties, the youngest is 19 and they know, they know, Oh, I've been eating too much sugar lately. Like I got to cut back on this. And it's, it's an awareness around it that I'm really happy that they have because they're relating it to their mood. They're relating it to their energy. And that's what we want. We want awareness around food. How does it make you feel? And then once you have that information, you can you can work with that to start feeling better. But a lot of people are clueless about what these foods are doing to them. I agree with you. Hey, we get a question over here on Facebook from Mark. He says, how do you recommend we obtain the good bacteria? So um, that's a great question, Mark. And there's two ways. Well, there's several ways to go about it. But the first is you want to start feeding the population that you want to grow, <laughs> right? So the more vegetables you eat, Lisa's right. We love vegetables so much so that when we first get on the line, we got to look in the camera and make sure we don't have any kale stuck in our teeth over here. <laughs> so when you're feeding the population that you want to grow, that probably means you're going to be eating more vegetables and less sugar, right? So it's just a matter of who are you feeding in your gut. That's one way to approach it. And the other way to approach it is just try to repopulate your gut with the good kinds of bacteria. So uh, I I believe in the last episode, we were talking about fermented foods. That's a really great way to do it. Um, You can also be taking a probiotic. And um, one thing I look for on the probiotic label, you'll often see lactobacillus as one type of bacteria that's in there, or one family of bacteria. Another one to look for is called bifido, bifidobacteria. So any of strains within bifido. Um, So that'd be another way to go about it. But, um, but I always have to add, you know, as somebody with SIBO, I can't take probiotics because I can't be overpopulating the bacteria that is in the wrong place. And so I have to be super careful with that. And I just put that out there because I used to tell everybody to take a probiotic and many people, many, 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 many people benefit from it, but I can't. So I just throw that out there is just something to think about. That's exactly right. And you know what all this talk is reminding me of? Because we're talking about sugar a lot. You know, we're talking about fats and other things too. But um, the addictive quality of uh, artificial sweeteners like diet soda, I have found in my client base to be way worse, way harder to break that addiction than anything else like Crystal Light, Diet Pepsi. Have you noticed that? Yeah, totally. And people think they're doing such a good thing. But then you explain like you're tricking your brain, you're telling your brain sugar's coming, sugar's coming. And guess what? It doesn't come. And then cravings are like crazy mad. And so it has this reverse effect on what you're trying to accomplish. So giving up soda in diet, artificial sweeteners is like a really huge thing you guys can do right now to have a huge impact on your life. Wouldn't you agree? One of the biggies. I mean, honestly, if I couldn't get someone off soda right away, because that's hard. That's hard. Some people drink 10 cans of soda a day and you can't just stop. You will literally probably fall down and die. No, maybe not die, but you're going to have withdrawal <laughs> symptoms like crazy from all the caffeine and everything else. So um, I would actually prefer someone drinks regular soda than, uh, you know, or not regular, but, you know, they make some with sugar now. I know that doesn't mm-hmm. seem like an improvement, but I would take sugar over artificial sweeteners. Interesting. I don't know. I haven't had to make that decision. That's, I mean, a, that's hard a tough one. call. We're really, you know. 
I'm not advocating like, for soda. That's as hard as would you rather be deaf or blind? You know that <laughs> question when you're <laughs> like, I always struggle with that question. Yeah, yeah. The 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 artificial sweeteners, the drinks, because I think people are able to consume them in such quantities. You know, I guess you could eat a lot of cookies, but you can drink soda all day long, every day, or Crystal Light all day long, every day. So, what do you have your clients do, like as an alternative to actually getting off those types of drinks? I'm a cold turkey kind of person. Like I'm like, let's just give it up, give it up for a week, uh, you know, and then we're going to take it from there. And it's amazing to me how after a week people go. Oh my God, I don't even miss it. And I've seen this again and again. And they go, wow, I never knew peppers were so sweet. I mean, it's a life-changing thing, but that's what my approach is. All right. Well, now you guys, it is time for a brand new segment of our show, the Meet Your Meat Q&A brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox delivers thoughtfully sourced meat directly to your door. You can go to butcherbox.com slash HVR. If you use that link, you'll save 20 bucks and get free bacon. So we know there's lots of questions around responsibly sourcing meat. And today we're going to tackle one of the terms that you may have heard, heritage breed pork. So what does that mean? According to ButcherBox, they say heritage breeds are traditional breeds of pigs that have dwindled during the rise of industrial agriculture. They're better adapted to withstand disease and live in open pastures, not needing constant antibiotics the way that factory farmed animals do. Some heritage breeds take longer to grow, but these breeds are often more delicious. So to be considered heritage bred, an animal has to have unique genetic traits and be raised on an organic and sustainable farm. So there you go. That must be why ButcherBox's bacon is so darn good. And by the way, it is sugar-free, which is hard to find. So you can give it a try, plus save 20 bucks on your first order at butcherbox.com slash HVR for Healthy View Radio. And when we get back from our break, we will be talking more about food addiction with Susan Pierce Thompson. I'm going to ask her about artificial sweeteners. I want to hear what she has to say about that. Susan is an adjunct associate professor of brain and cognitive sciences at the University of Rochester and an expert in the psychology of eating. She's also the author of the New York Times bestseller, Bright Line Eating, the Science of Living Happy, Thin, and Free. She's president of the Institute for Sustainable Weight Loss and the founder and CEO of Bright Line Eating Solutions, a company dedicated to helping people achieve the health and vibrancy that accompany permanent weight loss. Her program utilizes cutting-edge research to explain how the brain blocks weight loss Hmm? Do you guys hear that? How the brain blocks weight loss. And every day she teaches people how to undo that damage so they can live happy, thin, and free. And we'll be back with Susan after this short break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you sick of striving for a vision of healthy that just doesn't exist? Join the club. Expert health coaches Andrea Beeman, Michelle Fenighouse, and Lisa Lutan are more than just voices on the radio. They're here to help you make real change in real life. Join their Facebook community, HealthyViewRadio.com, to ask questions, get behind the scenes, and receive early access to special offers and events. Again, you can connect at HealthyViewRadio.com. Remember to subscribe to Healthy View Radio on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fennighaus with Healthy View Radio. Do you have a question or comment for the show? Please call us right now at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email from our Voice America radio page. You'll find connections to reach any of the hosts there. Now, back to Healthy View Radio. Welcome back to Healthy View Radio. I'm Lisa Lutan, and my co-host, Michelle Fenninghouse, is here. Andrea's off killing it at a conference, but we, uh, we have her in our hearts right now. I would like to thank one of our sponsors, Vapor Organic Beauty. I have to tell you, sometimes doing this radio, I get a little nervous up here, and that's why I love their deodorants. It's really cool. It's got this super neat little applicator. For those of you who are watching live, you can see really neat, but it does the job really well. And you can go over to vaporbeauty.com and save 20% when you use the code HVR. Now, I am super, super excited that we have Susan Pierce Thompson in the house. Susan is a PhD, the author of the New York Times bestseller, Bright Line Eating, and her program utilizes cutting-edge research to explain how the brain blocks weight loss, and she teaches people how to undo damage so they can live happy, thin, and free. I had the pleasure of hanging out with Susan at a conference in San Diego last summer, And there's this incredible focus and intensity about her that you can tell how deeply committed she is to sharing her story with the world and helping others with their struggles. So, Susan, welcome to our show. Thanks, Lisa. It's great to be here. Awesome. So, Susan, we like to start off every guest with a couple of personal questions so our audience gets to know you a little bit better. And we would like to know, what did you have for breakfast today? What did I have for breakfast today? I had um, some oats. Uh, that I cooked up into oatmeal with a little bit of salt, and I had some homemade soy yogurt on that with a bunch of organic raspberries and some ground flax seeds. It was delicious. Yum. Sounds super yummy. What is the one thing you do every day that has the greatest impact on your life? Um, I think meditate. Um, Yeah, I started a meditation practice about 14 years ago, and it's been really transformative. And in fact, the message from the universe or wherever these things come from to write the book, Bright Line Eating, came in my morning meditation on January 26, 2014. So cool. So you hadn't thought about it before that? You just kind of... No, it just came like all at once. Wow. Yep. I was minding my own business, just a tenured psychology professor teaching my classes, teaching the psychology of eating. And um, yeah, 
all of a sudden I got this message, write a book called Brightline Eating. The title even came in the, and I'd never heard those words before, Brightline Eating, but I knew what they meant. And suddenly I had a book to write. I love that. I love that. Love, 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 love. Susan, what is your guilty pleasure? My guilty pleasure? Oh, probably staying up late. <laughs> I stay up later than I should quite often. Um, so and I'm, I'm, I'm a night owl by constitution, but um, my life runs a lot better when I get up early. So I get up super early. I try to get to bed on time, but um, sometimes my guilty pleasure is to let myself stay up later. Cool. Okay. So in your book, you talk about the dangers of sugar and flour. I'm going right to the point. And I want to know, because the listeners want to know, why are they so addictive? And why do you tell people to not eat those foods? Well, they're, they're really not foods. They're drugs, right? So if you think about what a drug is, if you think, like heroin and cocaine, I think are two drugs that everybody agrees are drugs. That's you know, uh, uncontroversial. And you think about how they are made. They take these innocuous plants, you know, people chew the coca leaves. Um, they're not addictive. Um, they don't do much for you. They might give you a little lift, like drinking half a cup of caffeinated tea or something. But you take the inner essence of that coca leaf and you refine and purify it into a fine white powder and you turn it into a drug, cocaine. And it's the same with poppies. You can sit in a field of poppies and eat poppy plants all day long and you won't get high. You won't get addicted. Nothing will happen to you. You will get opiates in your system, um, but you won't get high from it. But if you take the inner essence of the poppy plant and you refine and purify it into a fine powder, you get heroin. And so we've taken these healthy wonderful plants like corn and beets and wheat and rice and potatoes and all these other plants. And we've taken the inner essence and refined and purified it into a fine powder. And we've turned them into drugs. Sugar and flour impact the brain, just like heroin and cocaine. They release a rush of dopamine that causes the brain to rewire itself to downregulate those dopamine receptors. And before you know it, you're hooked. So that's, that's the issue is that they're drugs. I remember when I read that in your book and that was life changing for me because it just, it put it in a way that I understood it so differently that I had never really read that way before. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that with everyone. But here's a question, you know, right now, coconut flour and almond flour are so popular. Do they have the same, the same impact? Yeah. Cause it's really not the plant that it comes from. It's the processing that does it. So whenever you take the inner essence of, of a plant, you refine and purify it into a fine powder, you're taking it and you're turning it into a drug. So coconuts are great. Almonds are great. Eat them whole. Yeah. It's super interesting because so many of the diets out there right now are, you know, whatever, paleo and this and that. They're all saying, oh, yeah, make these treats, you know, with coconut flour, almond meal. They're so healthy for you. And they're really not, right? They're, they're, we're being tricked all over the place. Yeah. And it's why people aren't losing weight, right? I mean, if you look at the success rates of weight loss, they're abysmal. And some of that is that um, people are, you know, finding ways to keep sugar and flour in their systems. And yeah, it's not going to work until you get them out of your system. Yeah, I've noticed that with, uh, I'll point the finger at paleo in particular, but this happens, you know, across diets where we start creating the cookies and the cakes made out of quote unquote healthier um, substances. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's still a lot of carbohydrate coming into your system. It's still sugar, whether it's in the form of like raw honey or maple syrup versus white sugar, it's still sugar. Um, but that's really interesting what you're saying about it's the processing that turns it into a drug. What about, I'll just play devil's advocate here. 
what if I got almonds and I put them in my food processor and I pulse them up? That's very little processing. Am I creating a drug? Well, yeah. So the, the part of the issue is when you um, pulverize something like that, um, you're exponentially increasing the surface area of the molecules that are exposed to the digestive enzymes. And suddenly that food's not going to be digested the way it would be if it were in its whole form. Um, and in particular, you know, I caution people against putting food in blenders because it's really important to chew your food. Um, the actual mastication process does something uh, in the brain that's really special. It stimulates what's called neurogenesis in the hippocampus, which is the formation of new neurons. This protects us against depression. Um, it helps keep us slender. So you don't want to be blending your food at all. You want to be just eating whole real food. That's such an interesting point. So with that, should we be staying away from like almond butter, you know, nut butters? Yeah, uh, those are sort of a gray area. Um, I think in tiny amounts, those can be okay. Um, but they can be, they can be pretty addictive for a lot of people. So um, I, I, I'm not a big fan of those either. But if you're going to weigh and measure them like in a, like half an ounce of almond butter, I think you'd be all right. Um, What's the but point? in larger quantities, they're going to be an issue. Yeah, that's tough. It's tough to limit. Now, what about a product like Ezekiel bread, which technically, you know, is sprouted, so they're not grinding it up into flour? Would that be a better product? Yeah, so, right, there, there are a lot of sort of gray area foods like that, like breads and pastas that are made out of whole, you know, foods instead of flour. Um, what I say in Brightline Eating is I recommend that people avoid them at first, get their brains healed, get their brains really clean, and then it really comes down to how high you are on the susceptibility scale, which I'm sure we'll cover in a second. But um, for some people like me, I'm a 10 on the susceptibility scale, which means my brain is super easily wired for food addiction. Ezekiel bread's going to not work for me. Um, but there are other people who are maybe a five on the susceptibility scale that it, it could totally work for. So you won't know until you're off the sauce entirely and your brain's really clean and clear. Um, and then um, in my program, I, I offer a process called the four questions where you can in, reintroduce a food like Ezekiel bread and get really honest with yourself and see if it's working for you. So the four questions would be like, you know, do I have peace around it or do you find yourself all day, every day, you know, fantasizing about your Ezekiel bread that you're going to have tomorrow morning? Um, <laughs> is it healthy? Is it escalating? You know, these are the types of questions. Is it messing with your weight? Those are the four questions. Um, so Ezekiel bread will work for some people, but it won't work for everybody. Interesting. Can you talk about the susceptibility scale? Yeah, this is one of the ideas that I really, really want our sort of collective society to, um, understand because I think it's really the crux of the obesity epidemic, um, and our sort of confusing and contradictory landscape around food and dieting and, you know, different eating approaches. The reality is that different brains respond really differently to food and to addictive substances in general. Um, so if you look at it, it's, it's basically a continuum where about one third of the population is just not susceptible to addiction at all, including food addiction. Um, and that includes heroin addiction. And if you think I'm crazy, you, think, you might think everyone would get addictive to, addict, addicted to heroin if they took it long enough. But the reality is, no, like lots of people get sent home with a Vicodin prescription, for example, after a back surgery, and they take it for months. But at the soonest opportunity, they wean themselves off it successfully, easily, 
they can't wait to get off it. Other people develop a pill problem after having that kind of exposure to a narcotic. So one-third are not susceptible, one-third are moderately susceptible, and then one-third are highly susceptible. And so in order to know what kind of approach is going to work for you, you have to know what kind of brain you have. It's highly genetic. So addiction runs in families. We know this really well. It runs in, in genes specifically. So adopted children are going to um, be more like the profile of their biological parents than their adoptive parents. Um, and you need to know how susceptible your brain is to food addiction to know how to proceed. So if people are highly susceptible in one area, does that mean that they're going to be highly susceptible in another area? Like if they're highly susceptible in the food area, does it mean they have more likelihood to be become addicted to drugs as well? Yeah, great question. So um, yes and no. So the way addiction works is, yeah, that underlying susceptibility is across the board for sure. However, to actually be addicted, your brain has to have a history in your particular behavioral past of noticing, like getting a hit off something. So in a moment of, you know, weakness, depression, divorce, you know, hard times, whatever, um, if you find yourself turning to a substance and the brain gets that rush, gets that relief, gets that comfort, gets that numbness, and the brain goes, oh, that's where the good hit comes from. Now your brain wires up to the cues that predict that particular reward. And then over time, the brain will pull you back and back and back to those cues that predict that specific reward. So um, it does mean you're going to be more susceptible to addiction in general, but it doesn't mean that you will necessarily be addicted to everything. So, for example, I've been addicted to just about everything except shopping. Shopping is a totally legitimate addiction some people, you know, put themselves in the poorhouse, buying stuff online, going to the mall, buying things they don't need or want. But for whatever reason, I've never developed that particular addiction. Maybe it's because the fluorescent lights in the mall give me a headache or I just don't care enough to buy stuff online. So I have zero shopping addiction, but I, I still have an underlying susceptibility to it. If again, in a time of, you know, rough times in my life, I found myself you know, spending too much time on Amazon using the one-click option, I could totally develop that addiction. So you have to be careful, but um, you also have to notice what things in your particular past have you turned to for comfort and relief, um, and those are the cues that are going to predict your particular um, behavioral or substance addiction. What do you see are the top three most addictive foods? The top three most addictive foods? Well, we have research on this. Um, I believe they are uh, pizza, chocolate, and chips, ice cream shortly following no, at number four. Um, what about yeah. wheat thins? Where do wheat thins fall? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a chip. Say it again? <laughs> I was just making a joke that I used to be addicted to wheat thins. And I said, I guess that falls under the chip category. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I'm addicted to avocados. You think? I really? am. Yeah, I am. I'm addicted to everything, but I, I've been able to shift <laughs> it to like avocado, like to good things too. I just am addicted to all of it. But so why sometimes when we're full, do we keep eating? Is that an addictive thing? Is that a food addictive thing or is that just a behavioral thing? Yeah, that's a really good question. Now, that's part of the addiction for sure. And that's why um, the third bright line is for quantities. Actually, well, depending on how you count them, that might be the fourth bright line, but um, quantities are super important. What happens is there's, um, there's this hormone called leptin, 
And leptin is the hormone that tells us that we're full and it's time to stop eating. And not only that, but it's time to get active, to use all the calories we just ingested to go build a hut or find a mate or do other things to ensure our survival. Um, leptin um, gets produced by the fat cells. So when we put on fat, more of it is released, which is perfect. That circles back around to the brain and tells us to stop eating. So leptin is what regulates our body composition. Now, the problem is that um, we've become leptin resistant as a society. So our brain is not seeing the leptin that's circulating in our bodies. And so what's happening is you've got obese people who show all the biological markers of starvation. Like literally their brains believe they're starving and they Susan, keep eating and eating and eating. Like hunger has nothing to do with it anymore. They've just eaten a big dinner and they're Susan. sitting on the couch eating chips. And then after sorry, the chips are gone, Susan, they go back for sorry, some ice cream. Sorry, but we're going to be uh, going to break shortly. And I want to make sure everybody knows how to find you. So can you please tell everybody where they can learn more about you and Brightline Eating? Yeah, sure. Brightlineeating.com. B-R-I-G-H-T-L-I-N-E. Brightlineeating.com. And are there any courses going on that they could find out about? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a 14-day challenge if people want to see what living the Brightline life is like. And then we've got a, an eight-week Brightline eating boot camp where someone who's obese and starts the boot camp is 55 times more likely to end up in a right-sized body a year later than if they did any other approach, 55 times more likely. So yeah, they can find that at brightlineeating.com. That's incredible. Susan, thank you so, so much. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. You're such a wealth of information. So thanks for joining us today here. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been delightful. We'll have to pick up that book and learn more about the leptin and the hormones, everything that Susan's in the middle of telling us about. But I think those are concepts that uh, are not talked about enough. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? Totally agree. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such good stuff. Yeah, the book is great. I love the book. I highly recommend it. And, and again, thanks. So we're going to be going to a uh, break shortly when we come back. James Guadotti, president and CEO, CEO of Giovanni Cosmetics, will be joining us. So stay tuned. <laughs> Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you sick of striving for a vision of healthy that just doesn't exist? Join the club. Expert health coaches Andrea Beeman, Michelle Fenighouse, and Lisa Lutan are more than just voices on the radio. They're here to help you make real change in real life. Join their Facebook community, HealthyViewRadio.com, to ask questions, get behind the scenes, and receive early access to special offers and events. Again, you can connect at HealthyViewRadio.com. Remember to subscribe to Healthy View Radio on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired, and contemplative thought, showcasing experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Your host, Winifred Adams, will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus with Healthy View Radio. Do you have a question or comment for the show? Please call us right now at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email from our Voice America radio page. You'll find connections to reach any of the hosts there. Now, back to Healthy View Radio. Welcome back. I'm Michelle Fenikaus, and today's show has been all about food addiction. Right now, we're going to, we're planning to talk about something I am personally addicted to, which is hair styling. Can we talk about this? <laughs> Ever since about a year ago, I started wearing my hair curly. I love this topic, and I'm always interested in learning about new natural products that take care of these curls. So um, I don't know if you guys know Giovanni products, but you should. They sell them at Whole Foods all over the place. And Giovanni is actually the number one natural hair care brand in the country. And we are going to learn more about what that means. Um, Hopefully we have James on the line. James, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Okay, terrific. So everybody, I'm thrilled to introduce you to the president and CEO of Giovanni Cosmetics, James Goddotti. Welcome, James. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Michelle. So I feel like every time I turn around, there's a new natural hair care brand on the market, either at the the store or at the salon. Can you tell us how and when uh, did Giovanni get started and how did you become top of the industry? Yeah, we started in the spring of 1979 um, here in Los Angeles, California. And actually, my father was the pioneer of the brand, and I would like to give a little soundbite on my father, Arthur. Um, He was a hairdresser during the renaissance of hair care here in Los Angeles from the 1960s, and he had a popular salon, kind of a celebrity hangout called On Sunset, on Sunset Boulevard, and his uh, clientele, he had celebrity clientele, including Lucille Ball. Um, he had a salon with Jean Chacov, which was an icon in the 1960s uh, in Los Angeles here. In fact, they did a, a movie after him named Shampoo uh, that Warren Beatty starred in. And Arthur also worked with what who they termed the father of hair color, Al Lappin. And so the father was doing hair quite a bit in the 1960s. And I remember... In the early 70s, I'd wake up in the morning or I'd wake up at night with the light on in the house and I'd go check and I would see my father putting Band-Aids on his fingers and he would put ointment and Band-Aids and he had allergic reactions to all the chemicals in the salons at that time, whether it be hair color, permanent waves, uh, all different uh, hair processes, shampoos, conditioners, whatever was in the sink. And so... He was getting older and wanted to kind of get out of hair dressing, sitting on his feet all day, and he was having allergic reactions on his hands to whatever chemicals he was using in the salon at that time. And Arthur, he was always sort of um, 
kind of a naturopath. He kind of veered away from allopathic medicine. He never found that it really cured his allergies, uh, his skin allergies to the chemicals. And so he, he kind of pursued things at that time which were kind of our, more cane or more sublime like homeopathic medicine and color therapy and, and different kind of alternative therapies. And so he decided to come out with the hair care line um, in the mid-70s. And I remember, you know, as a child going with him to Chinatown here in Los Angeles. And he would kind of veer off the freeway, go to Chinatown and buy herbs from Chinese herbalists in, in Chinatown. And they would wrap it up and wrap up these herbs in, in botanicals and in newspaper, Chinese newspaper. Uh, it's kind of like the, the bag or, or whatever. And he would take it home and I would watch him in the garage kind of at night working on formulas, working on different solutions and, and, you know, trying to get wet slip for his comb. And he, you know, would come up with these formulations along with um, a doctor of chemistry at the time. It was a gentleman named uh, Dr. John Weaver who actually did the pilot batches for Nexus back in the 70s. And um, so they developed this line, uh, this hair care line. And just to fast forward a bit, he had, Arthur had some connections with the movie studios here in Los Angeles, MGM, Paramount, Columbia, and all these hair studios, all these uh, studios, movie studios here in Los Angeles at the time had salons on the actual lots. Obviously, they needed salons on the lots, and so Arthur was able to get some of our products. At the time, we only had two or three into these salons, and from there, it kind of grew and grew here locally in Southern California, and then we started to go to really small natural product shows that at the time were just kind of a burgeoning industry, and so... We would go to these small natural product shows here in Southern California or on the East Coast. And now, um, you know, fast forward 40 years later, actually we have a 40th anniversary next year that we're preparing for. It's become quite ubiquitous. Wow, that's amazing. So you've been around since 1979 with this industry. How did you, you must have been a little boy, how did you get involved with all this? Well, I would actually go to trade shows with them. We would pack up the back of the car and drive to Las Vegas. The largest salon trade show in the country at the time was called BBSI. And I was eight years old at the time. And you know, I grew up with him. Actually, my first name is Giovanni. So he named the brand after, after me. And so I've always had kind of an affinity or kind of an, an attraction to watching my father try to get out of hairdressing and standing up on his feet all day and get into this new business. And for me, it was very, um, you know, impressionable. And my name was on the bottles and I was, you know, it was kind of a a matter of pride. And um, so I went with, you know, to trade shows since I was eight. I think I've been to Las Vegas more times than (laughs) most kids would have at the, uh, at that age, you know, going up through uh, my teens. And then um, in the late 
no, early 90s, I came on board. I was actually driving to salons, going cold turkey into salons in Beverly Hills, uh, Hollywood, West Hollywood, Santa Monica, trying to introduce, you know, this, this hair care brand that had my name on the, on the bottles to salons all throughout Southern California. And it was very difficult, but I was, <laughs> had a lot of gusto. And I think it was the winter of 1994, it was like the great deluge. It just rained and rained and rained. And when you thought it was, it was going to stop, it was just the beginning. And so I couldn't drive around and park and put money in, in meters and walk in samples to salons. You know, just got drenched. So I went into the offices and into the factory and just kind of helped out until, you know, the rainy season was over. That year was quite a bit going on. And um, I just got more and more into it. And we had three products, you know, 12 products at the time and three employees. And, you know, and fast forward about 25 years later, now we have well over 100 um, and products and, and many more uh, great employees. And I, I attribute a lot of it to innovation and being different than the field, the other natural product brands of the time, and even continuing to this day. So that's what I think that's what sets us apart um, is our innovation and our, and our kind of our philosophy of, of how we present ourselves in the solutions that we provide compared to some of our, you know, the other brands that we are on the shelf with. Yeah. So let's talk about that. What qualifies a hair product as natural? Like what gets you into that category in the first place? Well, I, I think with Giovanni, the way that we're, we're different is we have kind of a rule of balance to be as natural as possible while still maintaining a high performance. So there's a lot of brands at the time, at the time and now. There's a lot of brands that are so organic or so natural that a lot of the consuming public feel like they don't work very well. And so what we've always done for since the beginning, because we have salon roots, we you know, we just try to make a product as natural as possible while still maintaining a high performance that the customer expects. What we do is we have natural surfactants that are derived, surfactants or anything that foams, so your shampoos, your body washes, mm-hmm. products like that. We use plant-based detergents. All of our, most of our um, emollients and humectants for conditioning come from plants. We, we don't use sodium lauryl sulfate. Uh, we don't use methyl and propyl parabens as preservatives. So we try to keep the products as natural as possible, but still maintaining a very high performance. And, we, you know, we're in thousands of natural product stores around the country, and I think we've uh, achieved that. But as far as natural, it's, it's you know, there's different definitions, but our the way that we market our brand is bridging the cap between natural and salon performance. Right. Good. So thank you so much for being with us today. I want to remind all of our listeners that you can go to GiovanniCosmetics.com slash HVR and get a $2 coupon. So thanks again for joining us, James. 
Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. So Lisa, as we wrap up today's show, what are your, some of your big takeaways? What were your favorite parts? Well, I love when Susan Pierce Thompson talks about how taking a substance and, you know, grinding it down into a powder turns it into a drug. I think that's so profound, you know, with the example she gives and also the fact that we have to be careful. Even these almond flowers and coconut flowers that we think are so okay, they're not if we want to lose weight, you know, and they're not as they're not just unlimited things that we can use all the time without realizing there might be some consequences. I agree with you. That was fascinating. And, um, of course, I love talking about hair. <laughs> I always love talking about hair. The last time we were out to eat, I was telling Lisa, right? We were talking about how I twirl my hair in the shower to get the curls to come out just right. <laughs> so we always so love talking about true. that. And if Andrea were here, I mean, we have two curly-haired girls here. You know, know I'm like program. I'm the wavy one here. So <laughs> I dare to be different. But great. Curl. Awesome. You know what I found on iTunes today? I was just before the show. I hit up iTunes just to see what was going on over there. And I found a couple of new reviews for us. Yeah. So I want to take a moment to thank GT100, whoever that is, for writing. I am really enjoying your podcast and love all your different guests. I always learn something and sometimes I even apply it. You ladies have great chemistry and I feel like I'm listening to my peeps. <laughs> so I just wanted to say, GT, we're honored to be your peeps. We will continue to be your peeps. And if anyone else wants to have their review read on the air, just head on over to healthyviewradio.com slash review and tell us your thoughts. Like, what are you loving? What do you want to hear more about? We're listening. We are planning the shows behind the scenes every week. So we will happily take your thoughts into consideration. What do we have coming up, Lisa? We have a lot of cool topics coming up. Oh my God. So many cool topics Janine around Roth. health and wellness. Yeah. Janine, I, I think Janine next week, she's one of my heroes. Yes. For sure. She's just amazing. So keep tuning in. You guys will be back next Thursday with Andrea this time for another fun episode of Healthy View Radio. We'll see you then. <laughs>